honor you. All of those that are part of Elevate Miami Church's um, home, and this is your home, and you're, you've, you're not able to attend with us, we want to we let you know that we, we care about you, we see you, we love you, and we're, we miss you. So all of that being the case, and here's what I want to tell you. I want everybody here to tell me too, but I want you guys at home to know you can be a two-minute missionary today. All you got to do is go on your Facebook and share the stream, and you can be a missionary a two, you can go on a mission trip without leaving the chair. Just share the stream, put it on your wall, and let everybody be a part of what God is doing and listen to what God is doing. It's a really awesome thing. Uh, we have 800 people in the last three months started following our page, which is like crazy, right? Yeah, 800. That's right, 800. I mean, I don't know if you guys understand how significant that is, but that's pretty significant. So thank you. If you're watching us and you're part of that group, we honor you as well. We're doing a series called Become. And so there's a lot of things going on in our world, and there's always a lot of pressure to be something or to be this or to be that. One of the things the Bible tells us is to be transformed. And so we want to be what Jesus wants us to be, and what better time than this time of the year than to be thankful. So we want to be thankful. A lot of people, uh, particularly in Miami, you know, the, you, you're a part of our American culture now, but a lot of people don't know the history behind this day that we call Thanksgiving. So I'm going to give you a little window into that just so you can value it. And uh, hopefully some of you may know, some of you may not. But the first, recorded, uh, the first recorded day where there was Thanksgiving and all of the Hispanics here in Miami and out there, you're going to like this. The first guy that ever held a Thanksgiving service that's in history was a guy named Pedro Avila, Avila. Okay, and so Pedro Avila in our great state of Florida landed in St. Augustine and, and he was so grateful to God having survived the journey, right? Thank you, Jesus. I made it across the water. So he, he uh, did a Thanksgiving service, but it wasn't just a Thanksgiving service. He held a worship service to Jesus and he invited all of the, uh, all of the local Indian tribes and so the, the, the first guy that comes here, they, like, this is like what Thanksgiving was all about. So they came, they held a worship service to Jesus. That was 1565. The next one that we have history about is 1619, the first English settlers of the Virginia colony. They, again, having arrived safely, they declared a day of Thanksgiving and worship to the Almighty God, which is the root of what Thanksgiving is all about. We think it's being thankful to our family members and thankful for this and thankful for that. It's not about any of that. It's about thanksgiving unto God. That was what this was all about, and that's, it's like literally laid into the cornerstone of our country. In 1621, this is the one we're all familiar with, there are a bunch of persecuted Christians in Europe. Yes, persecuted Christians in Europe called Puritans. And they, were, they had nowhere to go, and they were being forced out of all of these different countries, and they had pretty much formed a big colony in Holland. They were Dutch. Uh, they were English. They were from all over Europe, but they were sort of congregating in Holland. That was the only, one of the only countries that would give them safe haven. The rest of them were persecuting them throughout of Europe. And so the first group of these Puritans, English settlers, set off for the New World to do what? To create a land where they could freely worship. Do you want to know what America's all about? America is about a land that was founded so that people could freely worship. That's what it was about. That's, what, that's the foundation of what, what started this country. And so in 1621, these persecuted Puritans come. Half of them die because they don't know what they're doing, right? Set off on a great adventure, have no clue what you're doing. Half of them die. And so the other half that survived, out of the blue in the spring comes an Indian out of the woods named Squanto. Some of you know who's, you've heard of Squanto. Squanto's an interesting figure. 
See, history doesn't tell you that. Our history, like the way that we teach this, they don't always say that. Squanto was an Indian who was kidnapped because there was a lot of, uh, there, were, there were people visiting America at that time, but they had never really established colonies up until this, this period of history. And Squanto was an Indian who was captured by an English sea captain. So Squanto is a Native American captured and kidnapped, literally, by an English sea captain. The English sea captain takes him to England because they wanted to show off all these natives of the, 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 the world and whatnot. So this guy's kidnapped, taken to England. While he's in England, he's adopted or befriended by a monk. And so the monk not only teaches this guy Christianity, he teaches him to speak English. And so now Squanto's in England. He's learned. He, now he's, they believe, was a Christian. He knew the gospel. And now Squanto can speak English. Squanto's now given a job. He goes to work for a very wealthy Englishman who owned horses. And as he's working with this Englishman, he's got a job. He's not a slave anymore. There's a song about that. But anyway, there's, he's not a slave anymore. He's got a job. He's working for this guy. And he keeps letting this guy know he wants to go back to his people. And so this very wealthy Englishman puts Squanto on a boat and sends him back to his people. Well, two, that, and two years later, the pilgrims the, for the Puritans leave, and where do they land? They land in the exact area where Squanto's people are from. And so, when, yeah, you don't think that's providence? And so these pilgrims get off the boat, having half of them died for the winter. They come off the boat, and it's springtime. They don't know what's going on. And out of the woods comes an English Indian, or an Indian, dressed like Indian style, and he's speaking English to them. <laughs> what? You know? That, tell me that wouldn't freak you out. You'd be like, what is this? Like, what's going on here? So you have Squanto coming out of the woods, speaking English. Not only did he speak English, but he understood Christianity. And so he took them... Through that whole summer and that whole spring, he showed them how to get maple, he, uh, get syrup, he showed them how to sow corn, he showed them how to do all of this. And so by the fall, they had actually had their first harvest. Squanto went and got all of the local tribes, and all of the local tribes came and they had this massive feast. This is where we get Thanksgiving for them. And so it went on for three days, and Squanto also negotiated a treaty between the pilgrims and the local tribes that lasted 100 years. The pilgrims, the Puritans kept, they, they got into an alliance that we're all going to be friends here, we're all going to get along, all this is going to happen. And so that's what happened in, in the United States. That's where our common story comes from. And so in 1831, so ladies, you're going to like this. If, if you don't feel like, like I, I tell my wife this, she's like, you need to write a book. I'm like, I will someday on this, like of, all, of how women have impacted history. Right? So I don't know if you're a woman. I'm not a woman, so I don't really understand this, but I'm sure maybe you, all the women in the room, are like, what? You know, you, you may understand this. It's not always easy being a woman, is it? Okay, ladies, help me help you. So it's not always easy being a woman, is it? Right. It doesn't come easy. So in, there's been periods of history where women were not allowed to hold, they were not allowed to vote. I think women have only been voting for less than half the time that the country's been around. So they've not been allowed to vote. They weren't allowed to hold certain types of jobs. This is not, it doesn't just happen in the States. This was going on around the world, right? And so here's a woman whose name is Sarah Josepha Hale. Anybody know, ever heard of that name? Yeah, I got one. That's right. Yeah, she, she was a publisher and she was a magazine editor. In what year? 1831. So in the 1800s, it was not easy for a woman to be a magazine editor, and it was not easy for a, ma a woman to be a magazine publisher. So let alone that just speaks a little bit about this woman's character. She wanted to establish a national day of Thanksgiving. 
And this woman was so persistent, she just wouldn't give up. And finally, she got to meet Abraham Lincoln, and she convinced Abraham Lincoln to make it a national holiday. And so he made it a national holiday following the Battle of Gettysburg, where there was just tons of lives being lost. And, and the, the premise of this national holiday was, again, to give thanks to the Almighty God and to beseech him to heal the wounds of the land. I mean, what a day. Does that put that in? You should put this day in context. You know, it should put this day in an understanding. And like even us as, as believers, you know, we just think we're going to get turkey and Uncle Bill's going to get drunk and ever start, you know, and it's just going to go all sideways. You know, that's what we think. It's going to happen at Christmas. I know maybe your family's not like, maybe your family, no, our family's like preppies, man. We don't, nothing happens. Well, my family, different story, right? We all get together, crazy stuff goes on, right? It was like, oh man, all right, you know. After he's had three beers, we need to leave. Once you see him down, he's got three beers, we got to Oh, come on, that's funny. Oh, I know you're like, that's not my family. Okay, well, then it was my family. That's me. Maybe it was your family out there. So it was like, it's kind of like that. We had great Thanksgivings. I don't want to belittle that. But typically, Thanksgiving's not a time where there's a lot of unity in families, is there? Right? A lot of division happens. All the family tensions are all in one room now, right? So now it's all in one room. But we as Christians, we need to understand like, that like, what Thanksgiving is really all about. And I think we should come back to this place where this woman actually brought it in to make it a national holiday and that God would heal the wounds of our land. That God would heal, that we give thanks to God for something, somewhere, somehow, anything, but then to call upon him through that Thanksgiving and ask him to heal our land and to bring what is right into our land. That's really what it's all about. So we're called to be thankful. Did you know that? So thanksgiving and thankfulness is a cornerstone of the Christian lifestyle. Notice I didn't call it the Christian belief because Christianity isn't a belief. It is a lifestyle, right? You're not called to just believe. You're called to follow and live. So it's integrated into every part of your life. So we don't just believe as Christians. We live as Christians. And so thanksgiving is the cornerstone, one of the cornerstones of the Christian lifestyle. It's to be a daily part of our lives. It's to be an ongoing part of our lives. It's something that's there. And 1 Thessalonians says this, chapter 5 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks, everybody say, in everything. That's right. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Anybody here want to do the will of God? I assume you do. You're here this morning. Anybody out there want to do the will of God? I assume you do because you're watching. So that's good. One of the things that God declares as openly as his will is that you be thankful in everything. Thankful in everything. That is the will of God for you is to be grateful in everything. It's not easy to be thankful. It's actually a sacrifice. In a lot of times, there's, not a, there's a lot of times in our lives where there's nothing to be thankful for. We're called to find that. We're called to find it. Say this with me. There is always something to be thankful for. No matter how bad you got it, one thing's for sure, somebody's got it worse than you. Okay? No matter how bad you think you've got it, somebody has it worse than you do. There's always something to be grateful for. We can find something to be grateful for. I'm going to give you some facts Right? So we're going to do gospel, we're going to do actual facts. The American Psychological Association, which I've quoted, this is the second week in a row that I've quoted the American Psych Association. This is impressive, right? Ooh, becoming my go-to of choice. Thanksgiving, they, they, they've determined after 60 years of research that Thanksgiving has healing power. Okay? This is not Christians saying this. This is about as secular as you can get humanistic as you can get. The American Psychological Association, after 60 years of studying people, 
They realized that Thanksgiving has healing power. They discovered that those who live a life of gratitude, they produce more happiness, that they release more positive emotions. You need some positive emotions. Find something to get thankful for, right? right? The Bible says this, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, right? When we start praising, we start getting thankful, and something changes in our life. They discovered that this is actually a physical condition that can be tracked. It releases positive emotions. Thanksgiving builds trust in relationships. One of the things, and I've been married 30 years, so I'm completely qualified now to speak on marriage, okay? I'm, I'm here, right? I can speak on this. And so one of the things that they discovered, they studied divorces, right? So these are all statistics. I'm in the people business, so I need to understand people. I need to understand what people are all about, what moves people, why people do what they do, and understand all of these things. I'm really into that. And so they look at divorce rates, right? And they say, oh, Christians, it's 50-50. It's not 50-50 with Christians. Christians divorce at a rate of 50-50. That's all Christians. But how many knows not all Christians are the same? Huh? Not, let me tell you, not all Christians are the same. We're not. There are Christians who believe what Jesus says and do what Jesus says. That's an entirely different group of people, right? There's a lot of people that profess Christ, you know, but don't follow Christ. Doesn't mean they're not saved. Most of them probably are saved, but they're not discipled, and they don't live a life of discipleship. Totally different. The Christians who follow Christ, the divorce rate is 30%, right? So if you want to look at, like, in what, what we end up with is when they get that rate where well, Christians divorce at 50%, it's because they're scooping everybody into one big bull, well, I'm not part of that bowl, you know? I live a complete, I don't, I'm not, I don't consider myself to be part of this whole thing like that. And so the Christians that divorce, that are evangelical, are those that believe the Bible, believe Jesus, and are committed to his ways. That rate is literally 30%. And that's, and it's more like 28. But just to give you a round number, it's like 30%. But one of the things they looked at, these psychologists looked at, is they look at divorce rates, right? So let's just put the secular divorce rate out there. Divorces end in 50%, right? So 50% of the divorce marriages end in divorce, secular. 50% of the secular marriages make it. And so they want to know, why do these marriages make it and these don't? One of the biggest factors was that the couple valued each other. They were grateful for each other. Isn't that interesting? I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful to have you. I know when not everything's right. I know not everything's perfect, but I'm grateful for you. An attitude and a gratefulness between the, the, the couple establishes a trust in the home that creates a bond within the marriage, right? So all of you that are married and all of you that hope to be married, this is something you might want to pay attention to, right? You have to value the other person. Value the other person. Been married 30 years? Murder's been on the table several times, okay? I just want to let you know, we have absolutely wanted to kill each other more times than once, right? And it looked like it. She's picking up something right now. Put it down, Sherry. Put it down, you know? Anyway, so uh, we've absolutely wanted to like, go at each other. But one thing we've always established in our home is uh, this concept of apologies, repentance even, we could even use that word, where we apologize for our wrongs or we actually repent for our, word, our wrongs, and we establish a consistent policy that we are going to value each other. In spite of our differences, we're going to value each other. We practice it with each other, and we practice it with our children. Anybody here with children? Yeah. Right? Yeah? Okay. Teenagers. They did this thing, I think it was uh, Kansas, 
They were trying to help people that had unwanted, you know, they were saying, if you have an unwanted baby or an unwanted child, you know, bring them to the courthouse. I don't know if any of you guys read the stories a few years back. They had people dropping off teenagers. <laughs> like, no, not the teenagers. Don't drop off the teenagers. We're trying, because they were trying to say, if you have a baby and you don't want the baby, don't, you know, just bring the baby, you know, we'll, we'll help. And so people were literally dropping off teenagers. Yeah, so we try. <laughs> Yeah, all those with teenagers go, hmm, Kansas is looking pretty good right now. But, um, so the, the, the idea here is that, that we, to establish a, a value system or a gratitude, they discover that that actually helps marriages and relationships succeed. It doesn't mean that there aren't differences. It doesn't mean that there aren't disagreements. But it helps establish trust within the relationship because the person feels valued from the other person. It's just how, that's just how it works. Um, it creates positive life progress. Those who have a grateful heart or a, a thankful attitude, they, they progress in life in a much more positive way. It releases pain in the body. There's one, right? Want pain out of your body? Find something to get grateful for. Find something to get grateful for. It creates mental alertness and creates an overall sense of determination. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So it makes them mentally alert and makes people more determined. You have better sleep, those who are, live grateful lives. And it significantly improves self-image. Now, I never thought in my life I would ever quote a study from University of California, Berkeley, but I'm about to, all right? <laughs> they did a 12-month study of 300 clinically depressed people. I'm trying to show you the power of Thanksgiving. Clinically, so in order to even get into this study, you had to be like a glass half full kind of person, right? You had to be, or a half empty. You had to be the half empty guy. You had to be like, like clinically depressed to even get into this study. They did 300 people over the course of a year. They took 150 of them and they told them, you have to write a letter of Thanksgiving every single day. And they gave them money. And they said, because they were just living their life, right? So they gave them money and they said, this money is given to you and every time somebody, you want to express value to someone, we want you to give them a portion of this money. So they had money, given, money to give away for six months. So they had to write a thank you letter all the time and anytime they noticed something that they were grateful for, they were to give the money to that person and just kind of bless them. That was half the group. The other half the group just basically twiddled their thumbs. And so in the beginning of the, in the, beginning of the study, so you join the study, you're like, Hey, I'm clinically depressed. What are you going to do? Well, you're, you're going to be part of the do-nothing crowd. That's kind of like, I'm like, what? Wait a minute. I want to be a part of the other crowd. But what they did is they did MRIs. So they did an MRI of every, all of the people in the beginning of the study. They did an MRI at the conclusion of the study, and then they did a follow-up MRI six months after the study was over. What they found was significant increase in the neural learning centers of the brain by those who did the first part. Those who wrote the letters of thanksgiving and those that acted with, with, with gestures of gratitude, significant neural increases, significant. Then they took that significant neural increase and they wanted to see, is this a lasting effect or is this just kind of like a placebo? Does it like just go away? And they found that it was stable after six months following. So not only did their neural centers increase and their learning capacity increase, more open, so whatever you want to call it, they found that that was the case at the end, and they brought them back. Everybody had to come back in six months, and they did it again, and they found that it was stable. So what they're, what they're going at is that what the suggestion of the study was is that thanksgiving and gestures of thanksgiving actually reprogram the mind and reprogram the neural pathways and change the way you think. Is that crazy? 
I don't know, I got one person impressed. I don't know, I thought I was pretty impressed by that. Are you impressed? I was impressed, right? And so what we have to do is we have to realize that this isn't just Bible, even though that would be enough. We have to realize that not only is this biblical, it's actually part of our physiology. It's actually how we're designed. We're not designed to complain, right? Oh, yeah, we're not, it doesn't, doesn't work good, right? Debbie Downers, you know, Larry Losers, we're not supposed to be that person. We're, 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 designed to be, we're designed with gratitude. We're designed to be that person. Why the Bible calls us and says, open, enter his gates with what? Anybody help me out? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Why is God asking us to enter his gates with thanksgiving? Well, the first thing is he's worthy of it. But if we were to set that aside... And we were to say, well, what is God asking from us to be grateful? I want you to come before me with a grateful heart. Why? Because when you come before me grateful, you're more open and receptive to the things that I have for you. And so if you realize that one of the, one of the reasons why God commands us and calls us into his presence with gratitude is so that we can receive more from him. You get that? He needs nothing, but you need a lot. You need a lot. You don't, he, Jesus doesn't need any more thanksgiving. He's surrounded by it. Right? If he needs some beings to thank him, he'll just create new ones, and he doesn't even have to tell you. There, there may be classes of beings that you don't even know about that live within the eternal realm. We only know what lives there because of what he tells us. If he, he, may, have, he may have a whole, what, what's this crew? This is, my, this is my Thanksgiving entourage. They just walk around me. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, Solomon, you ever read the story of Solomon? I think it was like 100 guys. So he had all these fit, like Abercrombie models, Solomon, and he would go in a chariot, and they were all covered in gold dust, and they would run before the king's chariot. Here comes King Solomon, king of Israel, you know? Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, I want like 100 dudes to run in front of my car. Everybody out of the way. Anyway, God doesn't need our thanksgiving, but he gives us the opportunity to thank him, to thank him. His desire is to relate to you. His desire is to give himself to you. His desire is to receive from you all that you are and to give into you all that, you, all that he is. But he can only give into you unless you empty yourself of you. Most people can't receive from Jesus because they're so full of themselves. You're so full of you that God can't give you anything because you're full of you. That's why the Bible commands us to worship. That means empty yourself, ascribe worth. The Bible commands us to thank him. The Bible commands us to praise him, commands us. And we think because God needs it. Who told you that? He doesn't need it. You need to give it. Because in thankfulness, you empty yourself. In worship, you empty yourself. And if you want to receive anything from God, you've got to stop being full of yourself. That's just the bottom line. So true. Well, our perception of the Lord has to shift. Even in churches, even among Christians, they think like, well, I got to give God what he needs. Got to go to church. Got to serve needy Jesus. I guess I sing my hands and lift my hands because needy Jesus needs it. Needy Jesus, there's no such thing as needy Jesus. There's needy Kevin and there's needy you. He's not asking me to lift my hands because he needs it. He's asking me to lift my hands because I need it. He's not asking me to open my mouth because I, he needs it. He's asking me to open my mouth because I need it. I need it. I need him. In him I live, move, and have my, my being. All things from him, all things to him, all things through him. That's, that's just how it is. I'm not sufficient in myself. I'm created by him. I'm created for him. I'm created to, give, to receive from him, give back to him, and receive again in a reciprocal way. 
Most believers just think it's this consumer thing where we just, God's just meeting our every need. And then if we have to give him something, it's because, well, I guess heaven's broke. Got to write a check again. I don't know. Things like this, God, if God's so great, he'd learn how to manage money. That's our perspective. It's true, right? It's like, Jesus, don't you have any accountants up there? I mean, seriously? It's not about him needing anything. It's about you needing it. It activates the reciprocal principle of the kingdom. There's a kingdom of reciprocity. You find it in nature. You sow in the ground, the crop comes up. The water goes up in the table and comes down. Everything in God's created design is reciprocity. The spirit works exactly the same. God cannot give you. You give him this little bit of praise, and he gives you a harvest. You give him a little bit of offering, and he gives you a harvest. He supplies into the spectrum of your life. This is who he is. This is who he is. This is how we, we have to change the way that we think about God. We have to change the way that we see him. What we do, I'm going to tell you exactly what we do. We create gods in our own image. We create a God as we think he is, or a God as we understand him to be, not the God that he is. The God that we, we portray him to be is not who he is. He's not that way. He's entirely different. You know what? He's much more, say this with me. Jesus is greater than I think. Jesus is more good. Come on. More loving, more kind, more generous, and more powerful than I think. Therefore, I must change the way that I think. That's right. He's greater than anything you think. So you have to change the way that you think. Because your thinking does not, is too limited to understand who and what he is. That's what the Bible commands it. Romans 12.1, be transformed. By the what? The changing of the way that you think. Circumspect. Philippians puts it in circumspect, which means change the way you see everything. Just a thought. <laughs> Daniel chapter 6, it says, when, so here's Daniel. Daniel's in a kingdom. Daniel's serving the Lord. And in the kingdom, they, these guys want to kill Daniel. So they create this deception to the king. He's in Babylon, and they make the, or Persia. And they make the king uh, say that anybody that doesn't worship you gets thrown into the lion's den. And the king goes, oh, that sounds like a good idea. And he signs the decree. Well, they did it so that they could deceive Daniel because they wanted to get Daniel out of the scene. So they knew. And it says Daniel knew what they wrote. And Daniel knew what was signed. So in the midst of these horrible circumstances, Daniel's well aware. He doesn't retreat. He goes home. He goes to the upper room, opens the windows towards Jerusalem, kneels down, and begins to th give thanks. And everybody say this with me. As was his custom. That's right. That's the key to the whole program. The key to the program wasn't Daniel kneeling down and giving thanks. The key to the program was this was Daniel's custom. This is what he did. This was a habit of his lifestyle, is that he is going to give thanks to God no matter what. Even if my life's on the line, I'm going to give thanks to God. It was his custom. We need to develop an attitude and a lifestyle and a custom and habits of thanksgiving. It's thankfulness, and it's the giving of thanks. Thankfulness is, is the fullness of the heart. The giving of thanks is the action that's attached to it. Got me? And when you, you may be thankful in your heart, but oftentimes you don't express that. It's kind of like looking at your life, wife going, oh, well, she knows I love her. She knows. Do they, ladies? Do they really? Do you really know that he loves you? It's like, you may think he loves you, but you want to, what do you want to hear? You want to, you want to, I mean, am I here? Am I, is my wife the anomaly? No, my wife's not the anomaly. Every woman I've ever met, they want to know, do you love me? I just told you yesterday. No, but I need to know today. Do you love me? Am I pretty? Am I valuable to you? 
Do you love me? It's not her neediness, it's her design. It's her design. I tell her whatever she needs to say. I'm like, I love you. It's like, I need a little bit more than that. I really love you. I love you so much. I love you in the morning. I love you in the, I love you. I just try to find words. And if that's not good enough, then I say, tell me what you want to hear. And she'll go, well, this is what I want to hear. And then I'm like, okay, let me write. Okay, and then I, I tell her what she wants to hear. You're like, that's disingenuous. No, that's meeting what she needs. She needs me to say that, I'm going to say it. If what I'm saying is not adequate, well, then help me out. I'm going to help the women out here. I'm, I'm going to help the guys out a lot. I'm going to give you a phrase that you need to use in your marriage that will save you a lot of trouble. So if you got a pen, you might want to write this one down. You need to look at that woman when you don't know what to do, and she's needing that from you, and you need to go, you need to teach me how to love you. Yes. Ladies, you, and then we tell the woman, teach me how to love us. Well, you should know how to love us. No, don't dismiss. You need to teach that man how to love you. If he opens himself and says, I don't know how to love you, teach me how to love you. And Sherry's like, well, I don't know exactly, but I'm gonna, I'll get back to you. Next day, she comes with a legal pad and a list. Yeah. Just give that woman a day. She's going to come back, and she's going to tell you what it looks like to love her. I'm just telling you. I, I'm, like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And the Lord said to me one time when I was praying, and I was married, and I'm, I'm still married, and I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, I have no clue. I don't know what to do here. I'm in over my head, right? I'm not wired like this. Is there any men in the room? Do I have any man in the room that can agree with me that you, you're not wired like that woman? You know what I'm saying? You're like, what, what, right? So I had to tell the Lord, and the Lord said, tell her to teach you how to love you, love her. I was like, what? He said, tell her that you need her to teach you how to love, you, love her. I'd bring her flowers. She doesn't want flowers, you know? She wants me to do the dishes. I got one over here, you know? I got, you know, she wants gifts, you know? She doesn't want gifts. She wants quality time. Right? All women are different. You got, it's that whole love language thing. So I'd come home, I'd have flowers, gift. She'd be like, oh, that's nice. Put it over there. I'd be like, what? I'd get hurt. I'd be like, what? I don't understand this. What, what? I'm trying to love you here. And then it was like, that doesn't mean anything. And then she goes, if you want to love me, you need, this is what I need. I need acts of service, and I need quality time. So I'm like, what is, so then I have to ask this question, right? We got some marriage things going on here. I have to ask this question. Well, what does quality time look like? And she goes, I, I want you to just go out to dinner with me. I want to go coffee, and I just want you to sit across the table and just stare at me and listen to what I have to say. I'm like, really? That's what you want? She's like, yeah, that's what I want. I'd be like, I'd be like okay. And so I'd go there, and I'd be like, yeah, wow, that's cool. Yeah. And she'd tell me things, and I'd be like, wow, Really? You know, and I had this really hard time, and I'd go, here's another one, guys. I'm going to help you out with this one, too. This is another good phrase. You look at her, and you go, wow, poor you. Oh, I got the female reaction. You hear that? Anytime you hear the women reacting, dudes, you need to write this down. So I'd look at her, and I'd go, wow, poor you. I'm sorry that happened to you. We think, we're, we, think we need to fix their problem. We don't need to fix their problem. We just need to listen. Yeah, you see all the heads going like this? I want to fix the problem. She doesn't want me to fix the problem. She just wants me to listen to what she has to say. Right. 30 years of marriage right here. I'm saying gold is coming into the room. Gold. 
Gold. I'm going to save you a lot of marriage counseling fees right now. Just here it comes. Gold is coming into the room to teach you how to love you. And I'm like, what else do you? And she'd go, I want you to come to bed with me, and I want you to lay there, and I just want you to look at me. And I'd be like, and I'm like, what else? And she's like, like pet my hair, you know, stroke my hair, whatever, but just lay there and just look at me. Tell me how special I am or whatever. I'm like, so you just want me to come into the bed, lay there with you, look and look at you. She'd go like, yes, that's what I want. I'd go, okay. <laughs> and so I'd do that. Why? Because she's teaching, I'm, I'm supposed to love her. Okay, guys, we're supposed to love her, but we don't have any, ladies, we don't know what we're doing. Okay? We really don't know what we're doing. So if we try, at least commend the effort right? That was a great effort, Kevin. But really, I, I like roses. Those roses are really pretty, but you see the dishes over there? Now, that would really love me. So she'd be coming home, and I'd have the vacuum cleaner out. Hey, what's going on? She'd be like, I find you so sexy right now. I think I'm going to take a bath and put a little jasmine in the water for later. You just keep, you just keep going with that vacuum cleaner. Anyway, customs of thankfulness. Here's one. So here's Numbers 14, right? So here we have a group of people that were begging to get out of Egypt. Lord, get us out of Egypt. We can't stand it here. Get us out of Egypt. Jesus brings them out of Egypt. Outstretched arm, power, authority, blood of the lamb, right? Parted water, brings them out. And all they're, now, they're out of the, now they're out of where they wanted, they're out of where they didn't want to be, and they don't want to be where they are, Right? So, so the whole congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept at night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said, oh, that we would have died. Oh, it was so much better in our former life. Oh, oh, I just want to go back to the heathen world. It was so much better there. I was so much better when I was needy and desperate and wounded and just everything was against me and I had no hope. It was so much better. Why has the Lord brought us to this land? We're only going to fall by the sword. There was no threat, but yet their fear told them not. It said, so that our wives and children are going to be victims. There was no threat to their children, and there was no threat to their wives. Yet, that was their perception. It would have been better for us to return to Egypt. And so they said, let's get a leader. We're going back to Egypt. Most people, when you come to Christ, there's something. So when you get born again, so here's the two principles. Principle one is called translation. That's like that. So say this with me. Translation and transformation are two different things. When you get born again, the Bible says you're translated from darkness to light, boom. You give your life to Christ, you ask Jesus to come into your heart, you surrender to him, he, gives it, he, he receives your life, gives you his, comes to live inside of you, he takes you out of darkness, spiritual darkness, and sets you into the kingdom of light. You didn't do anything other than ask him into your heart. That's translation. Transformation's an entirely different world. It's the Greek word metamorpho. It means to completely change into another form. That's what Jesus is doing in your life. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. That's what discipleship is. That's what all of this stuff relates to metamorpho. There's a, like, you know, if you into, uh, like, theological things, they, sometimes they give you word pictures of what they're describing. So with the Greek word for metamorpho, the word picture is a, as a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Right? They go into this state, and then they struggle to become the next form. You, you guys should know this, right? So when a, if you, uh, the butterfly is coming out of the chrysalis, if you help the butterfly out of the chrysalis, what happens to the butterfly? The butterfly dies. The butterfly needs the struggle 
in order to become what it's supposed to become. And if you watch the butterfly coming out of the chrysalis, it looks like it's going to die. Oh, we need to help that butterfly. It can't get out. But then the only way it gets blood into its wings is by struggling to go through or whatever it is they have. I don't know if they have blood, but they have something. Whatever it is that goes into their wings um, is, is when they struggle to come out. Transformation will put you in a situation that forces you to change. This is what God's doing in your life, right? He is putting you in a situation that forces you to change. Jesus loves you too much to leave you the same. He just does. God will not leave you the same. I'm, yeah, happy day. I don't want to be the same. That's what Jacob said. When Jacob was being stubborn and stupid against the Lord, he said, change me. Do not leave me the same. Do not leave me the same. You should not want to be the same, but that's the very thing that we fight against. Transformation puts us in situations that force us to change. You're not going to die. You're going to feel like you're going to die. You're going to feel like your life's over. You're going to feel like everything's falling apart, but God knows exactly what he's doing. He's the master of transformation. What we often do is we fight against the transformation process. Transformation process is necessary to break certain areas of your life. That's exactly what's going on here with Israel. God is testing them and trying to train them in the wilderness and to, to understand that he has great things for them in the future, but that their current state will not allow them to inherit what he has in the future. They're not capable and it's being revealed here. The first side of danger, they want to run. First side of danger, they want to go back to their old life. And so transformation process is necessary to get rid of your stubbornness. Transformation process is necessary. Ready? This is a big one. In America, self-reliance. Transformation is necessary to rid you of your self-reliance. Bible says this, he led them in the wilderness and he caused them to suffer hunger. That's not nice. That's what the Bible says. Why? That they would learn what? That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. What is God teaching them? What is God teaching you? He's teaching you that you're not sufficient. He's teaching you not to be self-reliant. He's teaching you to be reliant upon him. He's teaching you that God will provide for you. God will sustain you. God will move you through this. I didn't say you'd like it. Nobody likes transformation. We all want translation. Yeah, just get me from here to there. That's what I want, Jesus. But there's a big gap. Thus says the Lord, and oop, there it is. There's a big gap in between that. And we have to go through this process. They were not ready for the weight of the promises that was before them. If you can look at what's going on in your life, and you are being faithful, and you're doing what God is wanting you to do, yet there's this pressure that seems to be there, and it's unrelenting. There's a couple other reasons for it, but one of the reasons just might be that God is trying to rid you of something in order to give you something greater. It just might be that, that God is trying to rid you of your stubbornness and teach you, Sherry said it this morning, it's hypomeno, it means move under pain. Huh? This is great. The Bible uses this word, let patience have its perfect work. I love word studies. I'm into that. I've always loved word studies. And so when I read a verse like that and I go, let patience have its perfect work, you know what immediately comes to me? How does patience do anything? What work is patience doing in my life? We think patience, lotus position. Oh, you know, Gregorian chants, I'm just being patient. Or we're just, just super chill, I'm just patient. The Bible, the, the word that's translated patience is the Greek word hypomeno. And it means move under pain. Oh, that has a work. When you can learn to move under pain, that's doing something in you. When you can learn to be faithful to God, even though it hurts, that's doing something for you. When you can learn to continue to move with God, even though everything around you feels like it's crushing you, 
hypomeno. Now all of a sudden, patience takes on a whole new light, doesn't it? Hypomeno. It's my word of the year. Move under pain, Kevin. Do what I told you to do, even if it hurts. Stand, even when it hurts. Be faithful, even when it hurts. Hypomeno. And if you will allow hypomeno, and you will pursue and persevere your life through with hypomeno, it will have a work that cannot be done any other way. Now, the verse makes perfect sense. Now, I'm like, oh, I can get that. Patience. I'm like waiting on the couch. Nothing good's ever come out of, good things come to those that wait. I mean, I, I have never, I've never really experienced character development through patience. But I have experienced character development through hypomeno. I have experienced character development when I have had to move under pain, when I've had to stand when I wanted to quit, when I've had to endure things that I didn't want to endure. Then I've grown. They were not ready for the promises. They had to learn not to complain. Ready? This is what God was teaching them. He was trying to train them in gratitude. He was trying to teach them to stop complaining, but they couldn't. He was trying to teach them, here's an even bigger one, that they needed to press in and not run away. If I've given you a promise, Kevin, your job is to pursue that promise until that promise becomes a reality. Christians are moved by reality. We live by reality. We don't live by reality. We live by truth. The Christian is not called to live by reality. The Christian is called to live by truth. What is truth? The word of the Lord is truth. The revelatory word of God, the logos word of God, the rhema word of God, and the profe, the prophetic word of God, is truth. He said, if I said it, then your job is to pursue that truth until truth becomes your reality. That's the call, hypomeno. God said you can have the promised land. Oh, no, it's better to go back to Egypt. It doesn't, the circumstances don't look right. It's, oh, I just want to go back to Egypt. I want to quit. I want to give up. It's not going my way. It's not the way that I wanted it. It's not the way that I anticipated it. I want to quit. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is weak. That's what the Bible says. It's okay. Just got to realize what's going on here. No, we're called to pursue these things. We're called to live by truth. If God's given you a promise, it's too soon to quit. The only way you lose is when you quit, Christian. It's the only way you lose. You only lose is if you quit. Be not weary in your well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you what? If you don't quit. If you faint not. That's why the devil wants you to quit. The devil wants you to quit. Because he knows if he can get you to quit, all but it's all over. Everything's over. Quit on your marriage, done. Quit on your kids, done. Quit on your job, done. Quit on your future, done. Quit on your development, done. It's what he's, the driving point is always to get you to quit. Always. God doesn't want you to quit. He wants you to press in, not run away. That's what he was trying to teach them. Don't run away. Press in. Press in. If I brought you out of Egypt and a blood of, blood of a, a lamb on the door, and, the, and as you were leaving, the, enemy, the, the Egyptians are throwing gold on you, you stood in front of a, a, an, an ocean, a sea, and it parted right before your eyes. You walked across on dry land. The water consumed your enemies before your eyes. You were hungry, and bread just appeared. You, know? you were thirsty, and water came from a rock. If I did that, why, what makes you think I'm not going to do something in the future? And so they, they, they lost hope. They, they lost hope, and they wanted to come back. And so they had to learn not to complain. We have heroes and zeros in this story. So the people are complaining. Moses and Aaron, while the people were complaining, you know what, Moses, and this is a lesson, because this is going to tell us what God's looking for. Moses and Aaron start worshiping. Huh? The people are complaining. Thousands and ten thousands of them complaining. The Bible isolates four people and calls them heroes. The rest of that congregation is completely forgotten. 
The complainers don't matter to God. The ones who worship in the midst of adverse circumstances, Moses and Aaron. Then we have Joshua and Caleb. So Moses and Aaron are just like, Lord, you are great. We honor you, Lord. We want to bless you. In the midst of all of this nonsense, we want to make sure that you know that I honor you and that we honor you. They're blessing God in the midst of this circumstance. Then you have Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb look at the people, rip their clothes. And what did Joshua and Caleb do? He rebu- they rebuked the people's faithfulness, faithlessness. Told them, pull it together. Stop being faithless. Have faith. And you know what the people did? They wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. Right? So what's the Bible looking for? When we're going through this stuff and this attitude there, and you want to complain, and all this stuff is going on, I'm going to tell you what he's looking for. What he will honor and where he will put heroic over your life is when you're capable of worshiping in those circumstances. I'll give you that one. So if you don't know what to do, worship in that circumstance. Honor the Lord. Be thankful to the Lord in spite of what you see and feel. I'll give you another one. Ready? Hold the chair. Say this. Rebuke my own faithlessness. You need to go to the mirror, and you need to tell yourself to pull it together. Huh? But I don't know what's going to happen. I go to the mirror, and I'm like, okay, you don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you what's not going to happen. You are not going to quit. You are not going to lose faith. You are going to stand up. You are a son of the highest. You are clothed with an anointing, and you will not quit. You will stand your post if this kills you, but you will not quit, and you will not complain. So you need to worship, and the majority of Christians, we get the whole worship part, but rebuke your faithlessness. Rebuke your, you don't need to rebuke your neighbor's cowardice, or we think we got to go over and rebuke the other guy. Rebuke yourself. Remind yourself who you are. You're a daughter. You are a lasty girl. Pull yourself together. Anybody who likes the, (laughs) the Incredibles? Remind yourself of who you are. Tell yourself who you are. Remind yourself not only of who he is, but who you are. Rebuke your faithlessness. This might look like it's going to kill you, but it won't. The promises of God are sure. They may look like I'm going to sink, but I'm coming out the other side. You're going to lose everything. If you lose everything, Kevin, you're going to get it back. And you're going to get it back faster because you're going to be smarter. Happy day. You can't lose. You need to rebuke your faith. You want the hero over your life when God looks at you in the midst of the circumstances and all of the complaining and everybody wants to run away. Will you be the one that worships? Will you be the one that takes authority over your own heart? Will you be the one that can master your spirit? Can you master yourself? One of the fruits of the spirit is called self-what? Self-control, right? It's one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the spirit. Peace, love, joy, faithfulness, righteousness, all this stuff. We love those. How about, the one, how about the one manifestation of the Spirit is the one where you have the power to control yourself? How about manifesting that? Control yourself. Pull yourself together. You are not going to fall apart in this situation. You are not a child. You are a son. Stand up. Your God is for you. If you die, you still win. <laughs> to live as Christ, to die is gain. Rebuke your own faithfulness, faithlessness. They couldn't inherit what was theirs because they were not thankful. So what do we need to do? All that being said, how do we do this? Being thankful to Jesus and being thankful to others. It's thankful to God, but it's also being thankful to people around you. What does the Bible tell us to do? We give thanks to God because it honors him. Hmm? Say it with me. Honor Honor. creates creates access. If you want access... This principle applies in the earth, but it most definitely applies to heaven. 
You want access to spiritual things, you have no access without honor. None. You want to operate in the spiritual gifts, you must honor the spiritual gifts. You honor the spiritual gifts, you'll activate. You want to, you want to, you want to activate God's presence in your life, you must honor the presence of God in your life. Hmm? Same thing with other people. When people are critical and complaining of you, do you let them get close to you? Oh, come on. But the person that honors you and says, I value you, I respect you, I'm grateful for you, you're like, you bring them right in your home. Anything you need. Honor creates access. Honor is a principle. We give God honor not because of anything other. We don't give him thanks for any other reason. Is because he's, honor, he's honorable and he's worthy of it. Psalm 50. The sacrifice that honors me is a thankful heart. You want to honor God? He's telling you how to honor him. He's telling you the honor that he looks for. He looks for it in many ways, but this is a direct one. He said, you want to bring me honor? I'll tell you the one, one of the ways that honors me. Be grateful. Be thankful. Know who I am. Know who you are. Know what I'm doing. Understand this. Be grateful. Honor me. We give thanks because of who he is for no other reason. It's the same thing. So if we're going to be thankful to people, we're going to be thankful to God so we understand the principle of honor. But you need to find people in your life that you, we take each other for granted way too much. And we need to honor the people around you that have helped you. We need to honor the people around you that have, that have stood by you. Oh, can I get a witness there? Right? When trouble comes, you know who's your friends. Right? That becomes apparent very quickly. Very quickly. And we need to honor the people that have stood by you. You need to honor the people that have helped you. You need to honor the people that, that are, are, are adding value to your life. And if you're that person, you need to be honored. You should be honored. And so we not only honor the Lord, we are to honor others. We're also to give thanks to, the per, to God because of who he is. The Lord is great. He's worthy of praise. Understand, no, no one can understand how great he is. But honor him because of who he is. Honor the people around you because of who they are. Once again, I'll just take you into my home. This isn't perfect home, but it's functional home. No home's perfect, but homes are called to be functional, right? They're called to be healthy functional, right? Dysfunctionally functional. I'll use that one. There's no such thing as a perfect home. I had a guy one time stand up and preach a sermon. I said, man, God, I will never be like that. I can't, because I, I was young, it freaked me out. The guy's like, when I wake up in the morning, I walk through my house, and my children begin to rise from the bed, we all just start singing, and we start whistling, Jesus loves me, this I know. He, this guy's literally teaching this, and I'm watching this pastor describe his home, like, of how everybody wakes up in the morning in, like, a glorious chorus of praise unto Jesus, and they all make their way down to the kitchen and have toast and breakfast and Cheerios together, and it's just a glorious environment. This is the pastor that's teaching this church, and I'm sitting there going, what's that? Lies, right? Yeah, lies. Thank you, God. I'm like, who are you people? I'm like, what? You know, and I was young at the time, so I was just kind of like going, wow, is that what I'm supposed to be? I don't know if I can do that, you know? My home doesn't look anything like that. And neither does yours. It's, it's not perfect, but it's supposed to be functional. It's supposed to be functional. And one of the functions of the home is honor. One of the functions of the home is value. I value my wife for who she is. I value her for the, and I tell her, and she knows, and I'll tell her even now, but I value her for the person she is, for no other reason other than the friend you've been to me, for no other reason than the loyalty you've stood, you've stood with me on, for no other reason. I honor you for the person that you are. You're a kind-hearted person. You're a well-meaning person, and I value you. 
and she does the same thing to me. And we do it in front of our kids. We don't go in. We, sometimes we do it in the bedroom, but we, we might make sure, we, at least we did when our kids were growing up, we wanted them to see the value. We wanted them to see the value that their parents had with each other because you know what they would do? They would see us fight. Right? Your parents see you fight or your kids see you fight, moms and dads, don't they? Right? Oh, come on. When you're fighting, it don't matter. You can close the door, but it's going through the wall, right? So they see you fight. They need to see you value each other. They need to see the value at the same time, not just the fighting, because that they understand, but the, but the value is something they have, to, they have to learn. So we have to be functional. We give, thanks to the, we give thanks to God for who he is. We value each other just for the, who they are, for the person that they are. We give thanks to God because he is loving, just, and good. Psalm 107, Psalm 7, Psalm 50, 54. Give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Give thanks to the Lord because he is just, and thank the Lord because he is good. God's loving to you. I thank you, Lord, that you are, here's the definition of biblical love, to seek the highest good. I thank you, Lord, that you are loving to me. I thank you that in every situation you are seeking the highest good in my life. God, we, we misinterpret and we think God's, God's love for us is this emotion. It's not an emotion to God. It's an intention. The Bible says he sets his love on you. He intends his love on you. And what is his intention for you? His love towards you is your highest good. He's not working to make you comfortable. He's working to develop you and to bring you into the highest good for your life. That's, how, that's what love looks like in his eyes. That's how he perceives it. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. God didn't have an emotional experience. God didn't look down on man and go, wow, I'm just... Oh. Hold me back. I'm having this emotional experience here. Jesus, can you help me? I'll go. He didn't do that. God so loved, not because of an emotional experience. God loved because it was man's highest good to be saved from his sin. And so the love of God came in Christ and God, and God gave, Jesus gave his life because we need to be saved. That is our highest good. The Holy Spirit is the manifestation of the love of the Father. And the love of the Father is being manifested by the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is always trying to work for your highest good. That's his job. <laughs> Not an easy one. <laughs> you know why? Because we fight the process. Seek the highest good. Just means he balances out the wrongs in your life. Do you know that? God, you know, we thank him because it doesn't matter what the wrongs are. The Lord will bring them into balance. Whatever's gone, your, whatever's gone against you, God said, I'll use it for your good. That's justice. Justice is the right use of power. Injustice is the abuse of power. And so when God uses his power in your life, it is always for the right purpose. And his, even when there's injustice done to you, God will use that injustice. It may take him some time, but God will use that injustice and he will turn it around for your good. Amen. We thank God for that. That everything works out for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. We should thank him for that. We should thank him because he's good. He's good just because he wants to be. Do you know, do you know, this is want to get you guys, I want to get you guys and just warm the relationship up with Jesus, right? I want to tell you who he is. He is good to you just because he wants to be. He's not good to you for any other reason other than he chooses to be. There's, he wants to bless you and love on you for no reason. Happy day. His love for me isn't based on me? No, happy day. He loves me just because he wants to? Happy day. We should thank him. Lord, I thank you that you are good to me just because you want to be. I thank you, God, that even in my stupidity, you are still kind to me. Even in my faithlessness, Lord, you are still faithful to me. We thank him for who he is. There is nothing Jesus can't fix if he's humbly asked. You know that? God's the fixer. Say this. Jesus is full-time 
in the restoration business. Yeah. Yeah. CEO of the universal restoration business. It's what he does. There's nothing in, his, in your life that God cannot fix. There's nothing in your life that God will not turn around if you will humbly ask him. The problem is, is we think he's going to do it without asking him. That doesn't, that's not how it works. You have to humble yourself and ask, Lord, I screwed this up. I can't fix it. I don't know what I'm doing here. Lord, will you help me or would you help fix this on my own? Help, this, help me fix this. If you ask him, he'll help you. But he doesn't help if you don't ask him. You have to ask him. He's the God of the turnaround. Say this. I may have had a bad start, but that doesn't mean I'm going to have a bad finish. That's right. Things may not be going your way right now, but that's not the way it's going to end. So how do we give thanks? Be intentional. Be intentional. If you're waiting for Thanksgiving to just kind of show up and hit you, and you're waiting for a moment where you're just going to feel the euphoria of gratitude, it's not going to come. It might, you might have a day or two with the next 365 days, and the next year you might have a day or two where you know, Thanksgiving just kind of hits you. But if you're going to live a lifestyle of Thanksgiving, you have to be intentional. You have to look for opportunities to be grateful. You have to look for opportunities to not just be thankful in your heart, but to be giving of thanks. You have to be aware of people around you and the kindness that they have to you. And there are lots of them. There's a lot of people that burn you. I get it. I get it. There's a lot of people that do you wrong. I'm, I live on this planet just like you. I get it. But there are also people around you that are kind to you. There are also people around you that are giving to you. There are also people around you who help you. And God helps you. So you have to be intentional. If you're going to be thankful, you have to be intentional. Find something. Find anything. Is there anything going right? If anything is good and perfect, what is, if there's anything good, lovely, of good report, what? Think on that. Find something. I'm not dead. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's a new day. Thank you, Jesus. I'm breathing. Thank you, Jesus. I live in the United States. Thank you, Jesus. My future is bright in you. Thank you, Jesus. I have an eternal destiny in you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm forgiven of all my sin. I'm given into your care now and eternally. Thank you, Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. I have the word of God. Thank you, Jesus. Find something. Find something in someone else's mouth. Hebrews Hebrew said this, continually give the what? Sacrifice of praise, which means it hurts. You know, sacrifice causes that. The idea of a sacrifice is it hurts, right? So it hurts sometimes to give praise, doesn't it? You don't feel like giving praise. Nothing around you gives you a reason to give praise. And the Bible says, I understand that sacrifice cut that's what the word sacrifice and covenant mean to cut cut and give me a sacrifice cut and give me a praise cut and give me thanksgiving it hurts i know it does but do it anyway do it anyway then it says sing to the lord it's the same thing it hurt listen okay talk to the married people here in the room for a minute when your wife has disrespected you for two weeks and God is telling you to be grateful to her or to say something kind to her, and you don't want to. <laughs> Ladies, when that husband of yours has valued everything else in his life except you, and God wants you to speak a kind word of encouragement to him, you don't want to. It's a sacrifice, isn't it? When your kids have been behaving like demons, in literally destroying your life in every sense of the word, you bring them to this level and they're doing everything in their power to go back to the gutter. You know what I mean? It's like you've spent 12, 15, 20 years bringing them up 
and they decide we're trying to work you up and they're trying to work themselves down. And God says, I want you to honor your son. I want you to honor your daughter. Even though they're not worthy of it in your eyes, you do it anyway. It's a sacrifice. It is. And we have to do it. We have to do it. We have to honor our we have to love our wives even when they're not deserving of it. You have to respect your husband, honor your husband, and value him even though he's not worthy of it. And you have to do the same thing to your kids because most we're, none of us are worthy of it. So if we're waiting to be worthy, we're going to be waiting a long time. Then it says sing. Sing your thanks to God. You know what it says is to sing. It doesn't even tell you you have to be in tune, right? It, but you are told to sing. It's actually emphatic imperative. It means you're commanded to sing. Yeah. That's why we do congregational singing. Because some of us, we can't carry a tune in a bucket. But if there's a crowd of people, well, we sound pretty good, right? That's why when the sound goes off, oh, you're commanded to sing. This is how we demonstrate Thanksgiving. He likes to hear you sing because it's an expression of your heart. So you sing to your wife. You are the sunshine of my life. And I will always be around. I got, I'll tell you, right, right? My wife, my wife sings. I'll just give you a crew. Sing to that woman. She's going to cry, and it's not because you sound bad. I went, I've done weddings, and I'm like trying to hold my expression because he's like, I'm going to, now's the time for my song, my song, the husband's going to sing to it. And I'm like, Really? Really? And I'm just up there trying to just be in a moment, and the guy is like so far off, it's not even, he's like, voice is cracking and everything, and the, and the girl, the woman's just looking at him, just crying. We, we got married, we first got married, and I'll never forget this, my wife does all sorts of kind things to me, so if you can't sing, get yourself a CD, hmm? Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, get yourself a little CD, my wife played Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You, on my first or second anniversary. I can't remember which one it was, but I've been married that long, and I still remember it. And she didn't sing it. She just played it. She just played it, and she mouthed the words. So you need to do the same thing. Play it, and you just do this. And I will always love you. Ooh. Give her one of those. I'm serious. You won't regret it. Give an offering. It's another way we express gifts, thankfulness. Ready? So again, we understand this from God's word. We give him an offering, right? What if you give your wife a gift? I just want to give you this. For me? This is for you. I just want to tell you how much I value you, how much I care for you. I want to give you that. <laughs> she tells me what she wants. So I'm like making notes. I want you to give me that. I'm like, okay. I act like I'm not paying attention, but really I'm like writing it down. Give an offering. Give an offering to show your thanks to God. Psalm 50. Give him what you have promised to him and and keep your vow. Another marriage thing. You tell your wife you're going to take her out to dinner Saturday and you don't? Not good. Honey, I got to work. What? No, 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 no. We're going out to dinner. You said we're going to. I mean, she might let that go a couple of times, but you keep doing that it's not good serve him this is the other one so we give an offering that's a demonstration of thanks last one we serve him let us please god by serving him with thankful hearts it's another way we offer thanksgiving these are just ways we offer thanksgiving when thanksgiving not just to god but thanksgiving to each other so here's the deal here's your homework for thanksgiving weekend 
This is what I challenge you to do. I want you to write down five things about the Lord that you are grateful for. And I want you to tell him. I want you to write down five things about who the Lord is. And I want you to tell him. Then I want you to write down five things about, I want you to find five people in your life that you are grateful for, and I want you to tell them. So we're going to give the Lord great gratitude. Lord, I just want to tell you this, and I'm so grateful for you. I love you. These are the things about you that I like. This is what you've done for me that I'm so grateful for. Five things. You can go more, but let's just start with five. Then find five people in your life, and I want you to express thanksgiving to them. We had another tradition. I know I'm giving you all my family traditions. Sherry and I come from like a lot of brokenness, so we come from a lot of dysfunction. So we didn't see it right. Not, it was never demonstrated to us for right. It was, it was mildly functional. We don't blame our parents, none of that. People are broken, they're shot out. But we're trying, we're trying to like, you know, follow Jesus and do things right. One of the things that we do in our family every Christmas, and it's amazing, if I neglect it, my son or my daughter will remind me to do it. My wife doesn't even remind me. We get around and we gather together and we all write letters to each other. So in other words... At Christmas time, Christmas Day, I have to write a letter of expression to my wife. I have to write a letter of expression to my son, and I have to write a letter to expression of my to my um, to my uh, my daughter. Right? But now my daughter's married with a grandson, so I got to write two more letters now. Right? So now I have a grandson. I got to write a letter to Rowan now, and I got to write a letter to Will. But we all write letters to each other, and then we don't just hand them to him; we read them directly to each other. Sherry, I just want to tell you that I love you. I've been with you for 30 years, and I just want to tell you I would do it all over again. It's not been easy, but you're the best person I could have ever hoped for. You're a perfect match for me. You know, something like that. Mariah, you're a glorious daughter. You're a gift to us. You know, we, we, we say these words of expression to us, and we, I read my letters to them, and they read their letters to me. So Sherry reads to me. My, so I usually, I like to go first, get it out of the way. That's just me. Then I like to put my arms over the back of the couch and go, okay, come on, let's go. <laughs> But it's another way of intentionally creating things. You know, we were trying to find ways to intentionally create memories and put God in our family. And oh, there's my grandson right there. And so um, that's just one of the things. So find five people that you're grateful for. And I want you to tell them, I'm very grateful for you. I'm very grateful. Alex, I'm grateful for you. You've been faithful. I've seen your heart. And you give so much. And you're so sacrificial. I just want to tell you that over the years that I've known you, you I have seen you be consistent. You, I know you don't think you're perfect. And I know that, and you're far from it. But what you are, Alex, is you are consistent. And you keep getting up and you keep going in the right direction. So I want to tell you I'm grateful for you. There. Do it. Go for it. And then, last but not least, I know I'm, I'm, I'm a little long. I'm, I'm done right now. Right here. Last one. Five things about yourself that you're grateful for. That's probably going to be your most difficult one. But I want you to write five things about the Lord, five things to other people, find them, and then I want you to write five things about yourself. And I want you to read it to yourself. Kevin, I respect your faith. I respect your determination. I have watched you, and you have been determined, and you have not quit, and you have not given up. You know, I mean, I don't know. Find something in your life that you're determined about. I, 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 you know, talk to yourself. I admire your passion. You, you know, you, you are a loving person. You're a kind person. I mean, talk, talk to yourself. David did what? He encouraged himself in the Lord. Who encourages the encourager? You know who encourages the encourager? You do. No one encourages the encourager. The encourager encourages himself. So you have to do that. So that's, that's, my, that's, my, that's my shtick. That's my thing. That's my encouragement to all of you watching us, and we want to bless you, and we want to honor you. We're out of time, 
And so we're just going to close it here. And uh, we want to pray for you, and we want to bless you with a blessing. So we're just going to speak the blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor in peace in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week.